Sometimes in this race that we're in, when we lace up our shoes, we crash and burn. The truth is, every single one of us will have a moment that's not our finest moment, where we do what the flesh is screaming out to do, and we will sin, we will fall, we will crash in this race. And we have a decision to make in that moment. Will we get back up in the power and authority of Jesus Christ, or will we just lay there and waste our lives away? Some of us are in the midst of that right now. There's a moment in your life recently that you feel like this is too much, I've done too wrong, and what I did this time I keep doing, and God doesn't have enough grace for me to pick me up. I got good news for you today from God's word that this race was intended for us to run until we breathe our last breath. There's never a moment or thing that we could do that would ever completely separate us from Christ because when we know Christ personally, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. And his grace will cover all of our sins. But we must do something in that moment, confess, repent, and get back up and run this race. Sometimes we get to places in our race where we think we can't go on. This past week in our men's ministry fight club, we had men share their testimonies of how they came to Christ and told the story. And it was a double reason for that. One, we wanted to see where guys were to see if they truly knew Christ and see that it's by grace through faith and not by works. And it gave us a conversation piece. But we wanted to be encouraged by the stories of others. So I find myself just reading these stories because Revelation says we overcome the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony. And testimonies encourage us. And there was a testimony that came across where one of our brothers wrote on the app, a Fight Club app this week, and we saw 400 of those. And it was amazing just to read those where he found himself in this race trying to give up, completely give up. And as I was preparing for this message, I, his, his testimony came to, to my mind this morning. The Spirit prompted, so I texted him early this morning and asked for permission to share his story. You'll see the goodness of God, that God never gives up on us. This is his story. I was raised in a poor home, led by an abusive parent. As a child, I was beaten and called stupid daily. Jesus wasn't even a word that I think I even heard as a kid. I applied myself to nothing but violence and anger. I was designed to fail, and that was okay with me. I moved from Muncie-hood life to good old Milford, Indiana at the age of 12. Got structure, got humbled, got even a good parent that I had never met before. But something was never there, and the anger always stayed. The depression increased. It seemed like I never fit in. That I was and would always be stupid when I got older. I got into drugs, got into drinking. I got into pretty much anything that I could. Yet still, something was missing. Eventually, I hit my 20s, drank every weekend, let my flesh desires run my life along with my depression and anger, and finally gave up looking for what seemed to be missing. Decided, okay, I can't take this. And I want to say something to you if you have read this far and are still reading. I didn't care about you at all. You never mattered. 
and neither did anything else, including God, to me. So I made a decision. I went to the garage in my best friend's house, climbed up and strung up a rope in their garage, stepped up on the table and put my head inside with tears running down my face as I could hear my mother calling me stupid. She was right. I was. I stepped off and prepared for the end. But I wasn't dead. I was in pain, but breathing. Why didn't I go? Why did the beam snap and the ceiling fall? Years I fought myself trying to figure it out. Was it God? Was it a fluke? I remember the day I decided to change my life and still had sinful times that I got through. The devil, I feel, beats us up all at times. I hit my 30th birthday, did Fight Club Chapter 5. I made it through and became a Fight Club man under Dave Pinion. You were awesome, Dave. But what did that mean to me? I mean, I didn't know God or Jesus. I definitely knew a lot more about what Jesus went through, but I wasn't, and I didn't allow him inside. So after the chapter finished, I gave myself and my accountability partner, Scott Herring, a graduation gift. I got baptized November the 24, 2013. And Scotty got, hold on, and Scotty got to do the honors of being part of my accepting of Christ as my Savior that day. I want to say this one last thing if you stayed with me. I love you guys. All of you. And I'm glad that we are fighting together. I know I didn't care about you then. But I care about you now, and I'm thankful for you. Jim Brown, you helped me change my life, buddy. Thank you. Lace them up. All in for Jesus. Fight Club 16. Praise God. All that to say this. It's not over. Hear me. When you stumble and fall in your race, it's not over. God has called you, and he has your lane marked out. And in those times, the way we get back up is allowing Christ to grab us in his grace that took our sins to the cross and picked us up that will enable us to get back up and run again. There's a story in the Bible of a man who He was running his race well. In fact, he had the touch of God that appeared on his life. But there was this moment in time where he crashed and burned. But God, in his goodness, picked him back up, put him on his feet, and he finished what he had been called to. Grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 7. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. Or grab your mobile device and open up. And at the same time that you're going to Acts chapter 7, put your finger in Exodus chapter 2. We'll be going back and forth. But turn to Acts chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 20 to 34 out loud together. Would you stand with me as we read this out loud together? Acts chapter 7, verses 20 to 34. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. At that time, Moses was born. And he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. 
Moses was educated in all wisdom and the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. But they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Median, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. You may have a seat. Often the race seems really smooth. And I don't know where you're at today, but there are those moments in this journey, this race that's marked out for us, that it seems like you're hitting on all eight cylinders, you have great nutrition, you're running a personal best every day, there don't appear to be trials in your way, no obstacles, and it feels like you can just run at optimal performance. This was the case for Moses. Because if you look at his life, beginning with his life in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 22, death was imminent for him. There was an edict that was placed on the, the country during this time by the king that said that any Israelite boy that was born should be killed. And so it was there because the Israelites were growing in influence while they were in slavery with Pharaoh and the king. And the king was concerned that somehow there would be too many strong warriors being developed. So he didn't want to have anyone pushing at him or coming at him. So he sent this edict to kill all the Hebrew boys that were born. So any midwife during this time was given this instruction and declaration. When you're with an Israelite woman and she's about to deliver a child, kill the baby. Meanwhile... These midwives chose not to. Word got back to the king, and he wondered why. And they said, well, when these Israelite women, when they give babies, they're strong and vigorous. And they go boom, and they're delivered. And so we can't do that. Knowing full well, they chose not to. So Pharaoh decided, well, if that doesn't work, then this must happen. If a baby boy, a Hebrew baby, is born an Israelite, You must take the baby, not the girl, but the boy, throw him into the Nile and drown them. So picture if you can, baby after baby after baby, floating down the Elkhart River, drowned, just newly born, because Pharaoh wanted all the Hebrew boys to die. Meanwhile, Moses' mother hid him for a few months, the text says, for three months. And she would go about without knowing that she had a child. But there came a point in her life where probably word got out that she was pregnant, had a child, that she could no longer hide him. So it says she made a basket, put pitch and tar on it, and put baby Moses in the Nile River, hoping for the best that somehow her son would survive. 
under the providence of God, Pharaoh's daughter, who was an Egyptian, went down to the Nile one day to shower and bathe. And as she was there, the Bible says, she heard a baby crying. And the love and compassion that a mother has for her child heard this baby, walked over and saw this baby crying. And she couldn't put herself to let this baby stay there. So she picks up this child, a Hebrew child, takes the baby home and stands before her dad and says, and probably rolled her eyes and says, Dad, can we keep him? Is it possible? And so as she's standing there, the servant girl, the father said the child can be kept, must have given permission, sent the servant girl out and says this, go find the mother of this child. So the servant girl goes out where the, where the Egyptians and Israelites were. They were in slavery. And they probably ask around, say, hey, who, who, who's, who's the mother of this child? Who's the mother? Meanwhile, Moses' mom is found. And she says, the servant says to Moses' mom, we want you to come back with us. We want you to live with us. And we want you to nurse your child and live with us. And meanwhile, we're going to pay you for doing that. Only God could set something up like that. The account says that Moses grew, and it came to a point where mom handed him off completely, and he grew in powerful action and speech. So it's going well for him, really well. He's in the White House with the president, getting the best food, getting the best education. He's getting a whole bunch of letters in behind his name, DR, PhD. He's growing when he should have been dead. Exodus chapter 2 shows us that. Now his mom is getting paid. And so let me just say something here. As we run this race, our God is working behind the scenes, helping us to run this race, keeping us on this track. And right now, no matter where you're at, no matter if you crashed and burned, hear me out. God is working and his providential care is working. And it often happens. He puts someone in your life that hasn't been there in a while. And they speak and they're like, oh, I didn't know that. They bump you up. They give you a shot. They give you a role. They provide and care for you. And while you're praying, God is providentially caring. Providential care is when the Father takes care of you even when you don't realize it's him. And so right now, it might not feel like it, but our faith isn't based on feelings. God is working behind the scenes, setting it up to give you another chance to run that race the way he intended you to run that race. We have a providential God. I had a mentor when Ann and I first got married. I spent Tuesday mornings with him Before work, before building homes, he was married with seven children, and I figured I could learn a lot from him, and we would study God's word together. We met at five o'clock in the morning. We rode to the church, and he poured into my life. He was a business owner that sold well drilling parts, very successful, and he used it to reach people. He called it praise the Lord well drilling bit and company. He put it right out there, but he would tell me story after story of God's providential care in his life. He told me this time when he was taking a, some well-drilling bit, diamond-tip bits to West Virginia. If you've ever been to West Virginia, I lived in Maryland. There are some places in West Virginia 
that the roads wind and they, they turn and there's mountains and hills and it's not a safe place to be. So he's delivering these parts on this flatbed truck. And as he's climbing this mountain, the accelerator rod that was on his flatbed truck on the gas pedal broke loose. So he couldn't give it gas. He pulled off of the side of the road and saw what the problem was. So he searched his truck. There was no wire. There was no string. There was no cable. There was nothing that he could wrap around this accelerator rod in order for his gas pedal to work. So he said he had pliers. He had needle-nose pliers. So he's dead. He said, you know what I did, Jim? He said, I got down beside my truck, and I just raised my hands to, to heaven, and I said, God, help me. Give me something that I can connect this rod to this gas pedal. He says, so I got out and I start walking down the road. He said, I walked about 20 yards and there was this incline to the right or decline. And he said, I looked down there about 20 feet down. There was a slinky on the side of the road. He said, I kid you not, Jim, a slinky. He said, I walked down, grabbed this slinky. And he said, I walked it back up. It's slinky, it's slinky. Oh, what a wonderful toy. Some of you had no idea what I just did there, but some of you do. He said, I took that slinky and I cut it. And I twisted it and wrapped it around the accelerator rod. And he said, I fixed my gas pedal. Now, don't you wonder how that got there? I have an idea. There was this station wagon. You remember those? <laughs> With no seat belts. You remember those? And in the back were these two boys that the seat was backwards and was looking out the window. And one of them said to the brother, brother, hey, what do you think will happen if we put the slinky up on top? Do you think it will go down the bumper? And they said, let's try it. And they tried it, and it rolled off of the road all the while. God knew what? That Jack would be coming one day needing a slinky, and he used the curiosity and the foolishness of some brothers to provide for him. I wonder... As God providentially cared for Moses here, that Pharaoh's daughter just happened to come down and she had a compassionate heart like most women do. And she couldn't let that crying baby die. And then bringing him back to Pharaoh and she looked at her father and her father's like, oh man, I can't let him die. Look at my daughter. Out of the providence of God, his race is going well. He's in the palace for 40 years. He's getting wiser and smarter and more powerful in speech. Meanwhile, all over this place called Egypt where the, the Israelites were in slavery were reminders, the stench of the smell of dead babies, the tombstones and the grieving and mourning during this period of time for 40 years of all the moms who had lost their sons, yet Moses' race was running smooth. But here's what I know about these races. Falls and stumbles are inevitable. We will fall. I will stumble. And we will have crashes along the way. Every single one of us in this room, in the North Auditorium, in the South Auditorium, and watching by internet, have moments in our races that we're not proud of. We say things, do things, and join things, and bring things in our lives to a screeching halt because we sin. And often they come during a good race season. So how did it come for Moses? Look, look, look at chapter 7. Look at verse 23. It says, when Moses was 40 years old, 
he decided to visit his own people. Keep in mind this. Never once in Stephen's account here, and by the way, I think it's significant. Anytime a narrative is repeated in the Bible, God wants us to hear it. It was repeated in the Old Testament, and it's repeated in the New Testament. It doesn't say anywhere here that he consulted God. It says this. He decided to visit his own people as a 40-year-old. In verse 24, it says this. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by doing what to the Egyptian? Killing the Egyptian. Verse 25 often gets overlooked in this account. And look at verse 25. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was what him? Using him to what them? Rescue them. But they did not. So here was his thinking. Hey, I'm the deliverer. And in my mind, if God wants me to do it one by one, then so be it. I'll deliver. There's an Egyptian. He's hurting my, my, my family. And he takes him out. Never once do you see in this account here that he consulted the Lord to do this. He thought that his own people would understand. What? Sure, kill an Egyptian. Why wouldn't you kill an Egyptian? They would understand. I'm just rescuing you from the Egyptians. Look at chapter 2 and verse 11 of Exodus. Look at this account. Look how the author here tells this story. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says this. One day, Dr. Luke in Acts says the next day. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And look what it says. I love this language. Looking this way and that. And seeing no one, he what? The Egyptian. What's it say? Killed and hid him in the sand. So picture. Here he is. Here he is. He sees one of his own getting beat up. So what's he do? Don't we do this? We look this way. Is anybody going to see me? He turns this way. No one's here. He looks around, it's just me, an Egyptian, and an Israelite. And it says, he takes the Egyptian, he murders him, murders him. He looks around, digs a hole in the sand, dig, no one's here. No one will ever find out what I'm doing at midnight on the computer. No one's here. No one will ever know that I sent this message anonymously. No one is here. No one will ever find out. He buries them in the sand, and as best as he knows, no one will ever find out what I did. In fact, what I did, I'm sure all the Hebrews will understand. I'm the deliverer. I'm just here to rescue the people. He took his race into his own hands, thinking they'll never find out. We do this in so many areas of our lives. No one ever find out that I did that. Have you ever had a dozen rise and roll donuts, the powder ones in your house? And they come home, and maybe your wife or your children bring them, and, and so they're good. And so you eat one, and your kids eat one, and maybe your wife eats one, and, and so you know how many are there. But that one just didn't do it for you. And so what do you do? You sneak back out in the kitchen, 
You look left. You look right. And your wife knows you're on a diet. And so what do you do? Gobble, 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 gobble. You wipe your mouth thinking, no one will ever know that I did this. She walks into the living room, into the kitchen, and she counts. One, two, three, four, five, six. And she says, did you eat another donut? And all the while, what's all over your shirt? (laughs) Moses is no different. We're no different. We're always like, I'm okay. No one will ever find out. No one will ever find out I've done this. This week, this thought leveled me. How many times have we done that? Like how many times do we think, no one will ever know that I sinned this way. No one will ever know that I have this thought about them. No one will ever know that I'm wishing for the worst about them. No one will ever know that I was watching pornography last night at midnight. No one will ever know that I'm sending flirtatious texts to someone else because all you have to do is swipe left. No one will ever know. We look to the left. We look to the right. It's good. Mo thought he was safe. You see, sin has a way of wrecking our races. In fact, Moses would later go on and say this in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23. But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Look back again at Exodus chapter 2. Look how the author talks about this account. So he kills the Egyptian. Look at verses, or verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to do what to Moses? Kill him. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Median, where he sat down by a well. Pharaoh once wanted to kill him as a baby, God's providential care, and now he wants to kill him as an adult. Doesn't look good because everywhere he would go, he would be wanted by an Egyptian. Have you ever wondered this? I have. If he looked to his left and no one was there when he killed this Egyptian, and he looked to his right and no one was there when he killed this Egyptian, and he dug a hole in the sand and no one was there, How in the world did 24 hours later Pharaoh find out social media wasn't alive and well during this time? And no one had an iPhone like they do today videoing every move that you have. How did they find out? There's not CNN Jerusalem. There's not CNN Egypt. How did they find out? You know how they found out? His own kindred family member sold him out. That's how it happened. The Israelite that Moses thought he was rescuing. Surely my own people will understand, won't they? They'll know that I'm doing this to rescue them. He never consulted the Lord. His own Hebrew kin went back and told someone who told someone. And within 24 hours, Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Do you have people like that in your life? You invested in, you delivered, you mentored, you gave them a job, you put them back on their feet, you rescued them, and then they start giving bad reports about you. 
And you're thinking, don't you realize what I was trying to do for you? (laughs) I was there to help you. And yet they turn their back and they call you out and turn you in. Remember, Moses looked to his left. He looked to his right. And the only person other than himself that knew what happened was his only family kinship member. One thing, one decision, one action can destroy 40 years of faithfulness and ruin a good reputation. Moses' race was running good for 40 years. But he has a crash and burn moment. Seriously, Moses goes from the White House to the outhouse in 24 hours. Moses goes from Metrianing and Park Place to Baltic Avenue. Some of you understand that. In 24 hours. It's these kind of moments, hear me out, when this happens, that our worldview really matters. And our worldview is, what do we believe about our God? Is our God a forgiving God? Is our God a gracious God? Is our God a God of mercy? Is our God a God of second chances? You see, it's in those moments when the worldview of our God comes into play where we must say, yes, I crash. Yes, I burn. But my Bible says if I repent and ask for forgiveness, he will put me back on level ground and he can use me again. Moses flees thinking he's done. Thinking he doesn't have another chance. He leaves his Cadillac chariot behind and takes an Uber to a sheep farm and becomes a farmer for 40 years. And what was an incredible status in the eyes of even his own countrymen and his enemy is now destroyed in one moment. You see, it's in these moments that we have to make a decision. Will we just lay there and die or will we get back up and believe that it's not too late? Have you ever seen it happen to someone? Here's what happens. Here's what we say. Whatever happened to Becky? Like, she used to lead this Bible. Whatever happened to Steve? Like, he was always up front worshiping God. He was the first one here. He was the one that served. Whatever happened to Tim? He was always at prayer encounter. Whatever happened to, to, to Jeff? Like he was part of every book. Whatever happened to Bob? He was our most faithful servant. And they just disappear. Have you ever seen it? Like whatever happened to them? And right now people are saying, whatever happened to Moses? He left because he thought that surely he could never be used by God again. And he let the sin and the shame and his own self-condemnation pull him away for 40 years. See, I said this Wednesday night to our group at Prayer Encounter. Never put a period where God has placed a comma in your race. See, here's what we do. I did this, bam, I'm done. God's not done with us. Where we want to put periods because of our sins, God puts a comma and says, hey, it's a, it's a hick up in the, the, ray, in the race. It's, it's a moment that we're not done. Listen, I'm putting a comma. Get back up. Your race isn't finished. Stop putting periods where God is putting commas. Amen? 
You see, hope is never lost with Jesus. It's faith in Christ, even when it appears your dreams are dashed, that you get back up. God never disappoints. He reappoints our lives. So here we have it. Moses, new wife, two sons, new home. All the while, guess what's happening back in Egypt in slavery? God's people whining and complaining. God, we need a deliverer. God, where are you? (laughs) We want to get out of this slavery that we're in. And you know what God does? He scans the earth. He's looking down on the earth, looking for faithful followers of Yahweh. He's looking down in Egypt and everywhere he looks, he's looking for a deliverer. And so he looks and all of a sudden his eyes go to Midian. And guess who he sees? Moses. Meanwhile, Moses doesn't think he could be used. But our God, you know what he's good at? He, ha- he gives us a calling. He calls us to something. And you know what he does? He recalls us again. He wants Moses to get back up and run with everything he has. You see, it's never too late to run again with Jesus at your side. You see, some of you in this room, I know this because I, I, I talk to you. You think it's too late. 40 years of wandering in the desert, maybe it's four years, maybe it's four months. You're parked in your lane, letting all your poor choices haunt you. A child out of wedlock, a divorce, addictions, unfaithfulness, hypocrisy, felonies, gossip, fear, cowards, pride, hatred, insecurities. You're living with a lifetime of regret thinking God could never use me. And I'm saying, get back up and finish the race and the power authority of Jesus Christ. Your life is not falling apart as the songwriter says. It's falling into places with Jesus. Into place. You see, we give up even though God never gives up on us. Have you ever done or said something you wish you could retract? Have you ever said, I wish I could relive that moment? Listen to me. It's not too late to get up and run again. It doesn't matter how bad, how hurtful, how painful, or how awful you have been. When you put God in the equation, he can bring a resurrection from the ashes of your crash. Do you believe that? Here's what I know to be true, too, from my own life. God will let some things die so he can do a resurrection and show the world with him all things are possible, even though everyone says it's impossible. That's what our God can do. So what happens? He's in the desert, God looking for someone to call. He's looking all over Egypt. He can't find anybody. And he says, I put a calling on Moses' life. He was supposed to be the deliverer. He doesn't realize it. He doesn't think he's good enough. That he, he, In his mind, he's a murderer. He could never be used by God. And so he's in hiding. And God says, no, 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 no. You're not done, Moses. He says, I need to go after Mo. And so how does he meet him? Look again at Acts chapter 7. Look at verse 30. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. I mean, wouldn't you? Like God knows how to get a man's attention. Just give him some fire and run to it. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say in verse 32, 
I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. In other words, guess what? God is back. Here's what I know to be true. When God is ready to change your situation, you can expect to see something in your life that doesn't make sense. (laughs) It seems too good to be true. Like, God, even after I've done all this, like, you're giving me this job? God, even after I said this, You restored that relationship. God, even after I acted like this, you're giving me a second chance. And Moses, like, even after I am a murderer, like, there's a burning bush and it's speaking to me. When God wants to get your attention, he will do something that doesn't humanly make sense. In other words, we'll say, this is just too good to be true. There's got to be a catch to this. So what happens? Look at Exodus chapter 3. I love how the the author here, Moses, tells the story here. Exodus chapter 3, look at verse 4. The same account in regards to the burning bush. It says this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. What does he say? What's it say? Moses, Moses. And Moses said what? Here I am. And by the way, if God calls your name twice, you might be in trouble. I mean, as parents, how often do we say, you know, growing up, if, if you got your middle name from your parents, like Joshua James, you come here. Hannah Catherine, I want to talk to you. Isaiah Jacob, <laughs> we go after that middle name. It's the only place in Scripture that I can think of at this moment where, where God calls him twice. And he says, come here. And Moses says, here I am. And so look what he tells him in Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 12. Look what he tells him after he comes to this burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 12. It says this. And God said, I will be with you. Verse 11, back it up. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 10, back it up. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Acts chapter 7, verse 33, Stephen tells the story, and he says this in verse 33. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals, Moses. For the place where you are standing is what? Holy ground. Have you ever wondered? Like, have you ever wondered why God asked him to take off his shoes? I was thinking about that this week. Yes, it's holy ground. So he tells him, you are now on holy ground. So he tells him to take off his shoes. So Moses reaches down, grabs his sandals, And he takes them off. Have you ever felt why? I believe this is why. Because on every sole of a shoe or sandal is about three-quarter inches of rubber, plastic, or leather. And I believe this, that God is saying to Moses, listen, you're too high right now. And there is something between you and me, the holy ground, that needs removed. 
And he said, the only way you can get to me is to strip yourselves of what you've placed between us. And so what he did, he takes whatever we place between him, an investment, a relationship, people, pride, an entitlement. And God says, if you truly want me to lift you up, then you must remove anything that sets you above me. So take off your shoes. So Moses takes off his shoes. And now he stands before God with nothing between him and God. What does the Bible tell us? He says that those that humble themselves, he will what? Lift them up. Think about this for a second. Forty years ago, Moses thought a lot about himself. And what happened? Boom, crash in the race. It says, he thought to himself, I will kill this Egyptian. But it doesn't say that he consulted God. He said, I know my people will understand. He had pride between him and God. He needed to strip himself of anything that was between him and God. And now, he's ready to be the deliverer of Israel. Why? Because life has a way of humbling us, doesn't it? When we finally recognize that it's in his power and not our power, it's in his name and not our abilities, then and only then can we truly be used by God. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 34 again. I love this, this passage because it reminds me of this. Verse 34 of chapter 7 says this, I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Acts 7, 34 in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come and I will send you back to Egypt. What does he do? When he was young, God wanted him to be delivered. He had a calling on his life. He called him to deliver his people. And you know what God's doing here? He is recalling him to be a deliverer. Think about that concept for a while. You have a vehicle, and something's not working properly on it. You own this vehicle. You go to your mailbox, and it's from the manufacturer. In our case, it's from Jeep. comes in and has my name on it. It says, Jim, you're an owner of a 2000 Jeep Commander. There's a recall on this starter. There's a recall on this four-wheel drive. Bring your Jeep here and we'll fix what is wrong with your vehicle so that it operates properly the way it was intended to. I am recalling this Jeep back to the manufacturer to be fixed so that it operates the way it's supposed to. Isn't that what God just did for Moses? He recalled him back and said, listen, there's this part in your life that you have between yourself and me. Bring it back. I'm recalling you and I will fix it. And then you will be able to lead the way I have called you to lead. You see, a recall is given because something is wrong that needs to be fixed so that it can be used again. 
So the story ends in chapter 7, look at verse 36. Look how it wraps up. It says, he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the wilderness. Here's what I know can happen in this race. At some point, you and I in this race, in this lane, in our lane, in our race that we're running, at some point we will be on our knees overwhelmed by the goodness and grace of God. What was the turning point for Moses? You've got to ask that question. You know what the turning point was? He was hanging out where God was hanging out. He had a fresh encounter with the burning bush, and it was where God was at. When he ran to God, stripped himself of anything that was between him and God, humbled himself, and spent time with God, everything changed, and that crash in the lane was restored, and he was recalled to run and deliver his people. You see, when you have blown it, you don't need a new plan. You don't need a new program. You need a fresh encounter with the living God. So how do you do that, Pastor Jim? Sounds good in, in theory. How do you do it? Here's some practical ways. You hang out with people who make a big deal about God. I'm serious. You hang out with ladies who make a big deal about God. Not about themselves, who give God the credit. You hang out with men who make a big deal about God. Because they're lifting up his name. They've humbled themselves and God is working. You spend time, you know, you become like those you hang out with. How else? You hang in groups where God is actively moving in a powerful way. You just show up. Henry Blackaby had a book many years ago called Experiencing God. And that was his premise. Go to where God is working and show up and be part of it. So you scan your life, you scan the ministries of grace, and you say, where is God actively transforming lives? And you say, I'm going to jump right in the middle of that. That's where God is at. And so it isn't secondhand praise and thirdhand praise. You are eyewitnesses to life transformation. You join groups in prayer. I'm telling you, you want to be where God is at? Then you spend time with people who are praying to God because they realize they can't do it on their own. You run to burning bushes with humility and brokenness. You humble yourself and acknowledge your need of God. You strip yourself of pride. You take off your shoes and you repent. You say, God, this has been a smooth race, and because it's been so smooth, I thought to myself that this would be a good thing to do. But I never consulted you. God, may I never run this race again with three-quarter inches of me in the way of us. We're going to do something here in our service that we've done all day long. We're going to sing a worship song, and the worship bands are going to come out in the north and the south auditorium. and So just, just hold still as they come. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't want you to do this because I'm asking you to do it. But I'm going to ask you to search your heart. And say, God, Holy Spirit, is there any offensive way in me 
that keeps me from running this race with the calling you've placed on me? And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take off your shoes, leave them at your chair, and if you feel prompted and led by the Holy Spirit, now here's where pride steps in. For some of you, say, I got it all together, I'm good. (laughs) Look at me. You're more concerned about what other people are thinking. Let me, if you're more concerned about what other people are thinking, you have a pride issue. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Just humbly, symbolically, this is the lane. There's one in the South Auditorium too, and say, God, here I am. I want to run the race the way you intended me to run it. I don't want anything between us. And there has been. God, I've been sitting in the desert for 40 years just thinking I can't be used again, but here I am. I believe you called me. Recall me, God. Or, God, I just humble myself before you. So as the worship band comes, I'm just going to ask you to move to the lane. Strip yourselves of your shoes in a posture of humility. Just listen as the worship team leads us and they'll instruct what to do after that, but those that humble themselves, he will lift up. <laughs>